Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion from last week on the Supreme Court's We'll highlight the Supreme Court's decisions in the last term. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is August the 9th, and on this day in 1945, a second atom bomb was dropped on Japan by the United States at Nagasaki, resulting finally in Japan's unconditional surrender. The devastation wrought at Hiroshima was not sufficient to convince the Japanese War Council to accept the Potsdam Conference's demand for unconditional surrender. The United States had already planned to drop their second bomb, named Fat Man, on August the 11th in the event of such recalcitrance, but bad weather expected for the day pushed the date to August the 9th. So at 1.56 a.m., a specially adapted B-29 bomber called Boxcar, B-O-C-K-S-C-A-R, after its usual commander, Frederick Bach, uh, took off from Tianan Island under the command of Major Charles W. Sweeney. Nagasaki was a shipbuilding center, the very industry intended for destruction. The bomb was dropped at 11.02 a.m., 1,650 feet above the city. The explosion unleashed the equivalent force of 22,000 tons, tons, 22,000 tons of TNT. The hills that surrounded the city uh, did a better job of containing the destructive force, but the number killed is estimated anywhere between 60,000 and 80,000 the exact figures are impossible to know because the blast had obliterated bodies and disintegrated records. General Leslie R. Groves, the man responsible for organizing the Manhattan Project, uh, which solved the problem of producing and delivering the uh, nuclear explosion, estimated that another atom bomb would be ready to use by uh, August the 17th or 18th, but it wasn't necessary, even though the War Council still remained divided. Uh, Emperor Hiroshito, by request of two war council members eager to end the war, met with the uh, council and declared that continuing the war could only result in in the annihilation of the Japanese people. The Emperor of Japan gave his permission for unconditional surrender on this day. Well, President Joe Biden uh, sat in with the Weather Channel for an interview yesterday uh, to speak about his plan to combat the effects of climate change, with the White House commenting that the interview is taking place because it's important for him to meet voters where they are. The interview, which will be aired in full, or well, was aired this full at 6 a.m. this morning, uh, took place at the Grand Canyon in Arizona shortly after the president delivered remarks designating a national monument for the region. Last month, uh, Biden instructed the U.S. Department of Labor to issue a first-ever hazard alert for heat as record-breaking uh, temperatures were forecast nationwide. The alert was made to raise awareness that workers have heat-related protection under federal law, including against retaliation, and to highlight actions taken by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to protect workers. <clears throat> I don't think anybody can deny the impact of climate change anymore, Biden said with the announcing the alert. Uh, there used to be time when I uh, first got here, a lot of people said, oh, it's not a problem. Well, I don't th- know anybody. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know anybody who honestly believes climate change is not a serious problem. So, again, Joe Biden off uh, talking about things he really doesn't understand. As a countermeasure to that, as people are inundated with claims the globe is suffering an immediate climate crisis in the hottest July ever, one leading expert in the field is advising people to take these narratives with a grain of salt. Just the News spoke with uh, Dr. John Christie, an Earth and Atmospheric Science professor at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, about the 2023 heat wave occurring in the United States. Specifically, Christie addressed these widespread claim that the July 2023 was the hottest month on record and why he sees serious problems with declaring this. 
I've seen the main problems as perspective in time and space. July is always hotter than normal somewhere, so focusing on those spots misses the spatial aspect that there are other non-hotter than normal places, Christie said. In terms of time, I use the U.S. stations with at least 100 years of data, so the present heat can be judged from a better perspective. When compared with other hot years, including the notorious 1936 heat wave, the U.S. this year is not in record territory. Consider that. Hmm, interesting. So if you look at decades at the time, Christie continued, 2013 to 2022 is simply average for heat waves in the U.S. and record high temperatures. Regionally, the West has seen their uh, highest number of heat waves and record heat temperatures in that decade, but the upper Midwest and Ohio Valley have seen their record lowest such metrics. For the U.S. as whole, then, things have pretty much averaged out, he said. But these facts are seemingly ignored by outlets across the media sphere. CNN, for example, touted a study that claimed that U.S. and European heat waves of 2023 would have been virtually impossible without climate change just makes me smile and laugh. The uh, cable outlet did not acknowledge the uh, EPA's data on the 1930 heat waves in which the annual index for 48 out of 50 states was much higher than any other time in recent memory and often multiplies higher, according to the Heartland Institute's Justin Haskins. Given the onslaught of uh, media headlines declaring for a fact that climate change poses an immediate existential threat to the globe, Christie's advice is to assume that such reports uh, are overhyped or just flat out wrong. In addition, clickbait media, quoting uh, climate activists, are using unknowable absolute like, absolutes like hottest ever that ignore the fact that, the, according to the Aunt NASA, Regular and reliable temperature measurements only began around 1880. Geologists say the Earth is probably 4.56 billion years old, and we currently live in the Cenozoic era, which began 66 million years ago until today, according to a U.S. Department of Interior's U.S. Geological Survey. My advice would be to take the default position that a crisis story about climate is exaggerated or false, Then look for the rest of the story, Christie said. Some people use the climate change for political attention and gain, you think? And while others want the government to force the country to buy their products, citing renewable energy sources like wind and solar. So about how much, if all, human beings are responsible for global warming, Christie said, no one knows how much the extra greenhouse gases have increased temperatures, but that estimate is a 0.2 degree Fahrenheit increase over the decade. 0.2 degree. This rate of uh, warming does not constitute a climate crisis, and in many ways it creates more milder conditions for many areas on the planet compared to 150 years ago. Climate.gov concedes that even lower 0.14 degrees uh, rise in in the decades uh, in the Earth's temperature. Climate crisis talks have prompted many to make Uh, Extreme proposals to uh, combat it, for example, a July piece in the L.A. Times entertained forced electricity blackouts for the sake of greater good amid scorching temperatures. By the way, uh, these uh, timely blackouts every couple of hours are happening in South Africa. President uh, Joe Biden said days ago that his uh, program's in place for people who literally paint their roofs white to battle the heat wave. Uh, this is just incredible. So we're seeing this. Science News uh, posted an article last month stressing the supposed damage impact of cow poop on how the climate due is to methane emissions and how it's increasing the temperatures. <clears throat> Other drastic measures include the Biden administration's inconsistent but ongoing conflict with citizens owning or using home appliances like gas stoves, refrigerators, uh, air conditioning units, and the like. A number of uh, Christie's peers, scientists of distinction, have made similar comments to his regarding climate hysteria. In an interview with Australian uh, Dr. Cliff Mass, professor of atmospheric sciences at the University of Washington, Mass told the outlet that people are being misinformed on a massive scale on the U.S. and European heat waves. There's a stunning amount of exaggeration and hype of existing weather and heat waves, which he feels is a disaster. I'm not a contrarian, he said. Uh, I'm pretty mainstream in a very large academic department, and I think most of these claims are unfounded and problematic. It really concerns me that the what and see when Biden says, well, <clears throat> we we have a, uh, a 
an emergency here. This leads into him making commands about how we spend our time and the safety measures that we have to take. We can take care of ourselves, Joe. Why don't you take care of yourself and the <laughs> and what's going in the White House? Well, as summer approached, Americans increasingly relied on credit cards to manage their finances, leading to an unprecedented milestone, according to a report released on Tuesday by the New York Federal Reserve. Aggregate credit card balances crossed the one trillion dollar mark for the first time ever. During the months of April through June, total credit card debt surged by $45 billion, reflecting a growth of more than 4%. This uh, brought the cumulative owed uh, amount to $1.03 trillion, marking the highest record recorded value in Federal Reserve data that traces back to 2003. The uh, substantial rise in this category stood out as most significant contributor to the overall trend. Alongside this, the broader scenario of household debt also saw an uptick with the increase of around $16 billion, taking the total household debt to a fresh record of $17.06 trillion. Well, that's just one. So I did read some economists are kind of waving this off, saying, well, we've seen inflation. It's due to a number of things, and we shouldn't be concerned about it. Well, in addition to that, Bank of America data disclosed on Tuesday reveals a growing trend for Americans resorting to tapping their 401k accounts due to financial challenges. According to the Bank's Bank of America's analysis on client employee benefit programs, which encompasses over 4 million plan participants, the second quarter witnessed a substantial rise in the number of individuals making hardship withdrawals from their 401ks. Specifically, the count of those engaged in such withdrawals marked a 36% increase from the second quarter of the previous year. This data underlines and challenges the challenges individuals are facing as they grapple with their financial difficulties. <clears throat> Excuse me. And by the way, uh, stocks got pretty roughed up yesterday, if you didn't notice, after Moody's warned the bank sector is still on thin ice. The credit ratings agency downgraded 10 small and mid-sized banks, citing stress from higher interest rates, a potential recession in 2024, and struggling commercial real estate assets. Regional banks are still trying to shake off the jitters from the uh, uh, bank that collapsed in March, uh, the, the bank in California. So uh, we're still dealing with that issue as well. And, of course, that's affecting markets uh, substantially. Well, a bag of cocaine found in the West Wing last month reportedly belonged to someone in the quote-unquote Biden family orbit, and the President Larry Perry knows who's it, who it is. Soldier of Fortune publisher Susan Katz Keating made the shocking claim, citing, that, uh, citing three security sources in a report published Sunday, even texting a number of links to the uh, President Biden in a uh, bid to snuff out the uh, culprit. If you want the name, ask Joe Biden, one source told Keating. He knows who it is. Now, you could just hear old Joe saying to the Secret Service, Look, guys, I really appreciate everything you're doing on this. Let me handle it from here. <laughs> yeah, so it's in the Biden orbit. What, what are your guesses? You think it's Hunter? Could be, huh? Well, we can't tell for sure. And by the way, <clears throat> uh, Biden's frequently praised an electric vehicle company that incidentally... His energy secretary has made significant investments in just before the company declared bankruptcy on Monday. Proterra is the name of the company, an electric bus company. Well, uh, it used to be worth uh, $1.6 billion. Now it's declared bankruptcy. The market value has fallen to $362 million. In my opinion, this is what happens when the government gets involved with private enterprise. Nothing good happens for sure. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Hi. 
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to defending free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Yeah, our mission's kind of align, and I really appreciate the work that the Cato Institute does. It's Cato.org again. So, Bob, uh, last week we started talking about some of the key cases decided at the last uh, Supreme Court session. And we discussed, we're discussing partisan gerrymandering, and uh, this is the case of Moore v. Harper. Uh, how did the court deal with the North Carolina's attempt to uh, have the case dismissed? Well, uh, Moore v. Harper was about North Carolina Republicans suing to reinstate a voting map that was struck down by the North Carolina Supreme Court uh, because of this partisan gerrymandering, mm. allegedly. Uh, so the issue before the U.S. Supreme Court uh, was not whether the districts were fair and reasonable, but whether state courts have any role in monitoring what the state legislature has done. And the reason that was an issue is because the elections clause in the U.S. Constitution says that the time, place, and manner of congressional elections are determined in each state by the legislature. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say that state courts can review those legislative acts. So this is a case of the so-called independent state legislature doctrine, and that's the notion that state courts may not review election-related laws passed by the state uh, legislature. So the, the question for the court was whether the term legislature in Article Two should be interpreted literally to exclude, for example, even the governor. He wouldn't have to sign the legislation, and the state courts wouldn't be able to, to review the legislation, or should it be interpreted, legislature be interpreted more broadly to include a, a lawmaking system involving all three branches, yeah. and that, of course, has been the universal practice uh, in all the states uh, 
forever. So if this independent state legislature doctrine were to be affirmed, then state courts um, would not be able to second guess, uh, for example, attempts by uh, former President Trump to uh, have the state state legislature step in and and uh, and um, alter the uh, electoral electoral count. So th- this case, by the way, uh, might have been kicked down the road. It, was, it wasn't, but it might have been because after the 2022 election, it, actually the Republicans won control of the North Carolina Supreme Court, and that's in, in North Carolina the justices are, are elected. So the Republicans won control, and they elected to rehear uh, Moore v. Harper, and then they reversed their previous decision. They held that the this gerrymandered map was, uh, after all, it was okay. Uh. So if, if that were the case, then the litigation to have the map reinstated uh, might, not, might not have been before the court. It would have been declared no longer in dispute or moot. But uh, Roberts, joined by Kavanaugh, Barrett, and the three liberals, a very unusual alliance, ruled that the case was not moot because even though the North Carolina court had approved uh, the gerrymandered map. It hadn't technically reinstated the map. So the pre-gerrymandered map was still in effect, and reinstatement was still an issue. So that's where the uh, the case stood, and the court was asked to resolve whether this independent state legislature doctrine <clears throat> was valid. Yeah, it seems kind of a <clears throat> strict interpretation of the Constitution to not allow the courts or the governor to step in and, and make a say about that, uh, the separation of powers and so forth. What was the court's final holding on the so-called independent state legislature doctrine? Well, on the procedural question, um, Roberts agreed that state legislatures do prescribe the rules concerning federal elections. But, he said, that's got to be subject to the ordinary exercise of the governor's signature and state judicial review. So the court rejected the independent state legislature doctrine. Thomas Gorsuch and Alito dissented. They argued that the court should never have heard the case because it <clears throat> it was moot uh, given the actions of the North Carolina uh, Supreme Court. So th- this is an important decision. Yeah. It, it wipes out uh, former President Trump's claim that state legislatures could have intervened without the state courts reviewing the situation to overturn the 2020 election. And I think this is one more, whatever you think of that, uh, the merits of that, it's one more example that a 6-3 conservative court, actually one with three appointees uh, from President Trump, the court is devoted to the rule of law. They're not, uh, not necessarily to the ex-president's uh, political agenda. So the court may be, be conservative, but that doesn't matter that it falls in line with everything that uh, that President Trump desired. Well, I will say that uh, the President Trump's position, though, I think was uh, fair and right in the sense that uh, the, in several states, they, they violated state law by uh, taking the actions just for the expedience of dealing with COVID and so forth. So I think he had a point, uh, but certainly uh, this, this uh, decision uh, covered a lot more than just uh, his thoughts on the, on the election. Yes, this, this, this is really related specifically to whether state courts have a role. Uh, to uh, to play in election-related decisions. Absolutely. So the court also decided a racial gerrymandering case. Can you tell us about Allen v. Milligan? Yeah. The the uh, Again, the conservative court <coughs> confounded its critics, uh, this time by expanding voting rights. So in, in Allen v. Milligan, uh, Alabama challenged a court-ordered black majority district. The Voting Rights Act says that you can't dilute minority voting strength. But then it also says uh, that congressional districting cannot be driven by race. Mm -hmm. So those two things are contradictory sometimes. In Alabama, you had one out of seven districts with a majority black population, but blacks statewide were 27% of the voting population. So the plaintiffs in the case said uh, the court order ought to order order a second black majority district. Uh, Alabama, for their part, they contended that the second district 
couldn't be drawn by race-neutral means, and that if we used race-conscious means, that would violate the, the Equal Protection Clause. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important to clarify that distinction. Race-neutral criteria would be things like how compact is the district, its, its shape, uh, whether it has roughly equal population with other districts, uh, whether the residents have common interests, and, of course, the physical boundaries like rivers and lakes, as well as political boundaries like city and uh, county lines. By contrast, race-conscious criteria, which use devices like cracking and packing, those are designed to group people who look alike. And it implicitly assumes that because they look alike, therefore they're going to think alike. Mm -hmm. So race-cracking is meant to disadvantage blacks by splitting them across multiple districts and diluting their voting strength in each district. Race packing is the opposite. It draws lines that leaves blacks concentrated in a very few districts, and it increases their voting strength in those districts, but of course it weakens their voting strength everywhere else. Well, so did the court agree that Alabama should have a second black majority district? In this instance, uh, Roberts, again, this unlikely alliance uh, joined by Kavanaugh and the three liberals, approved of this race-packing scheme uh, despite uh, the assertions that it violated the Equal Protection Clause. So Roberts held that Alabama should indeed have created and must now create a second black majority district. Otherwise, he said that uh, race-conscious remedies uh, uh, would have to be used to to allow minorities make them fully able to participate in the political process and to elect representation uh, of their choice. Thomas dissented along with Alito, Gorsuch, and Barrett, and they argued that the Voting Rights Act doesn't require, and indeed the Constitution doesn't permit Alabama to intentionally redraw these districts so that black voters uh, can control a number of seats that's proportional to the black population. Yeah, I think I'm going along with uh, the conservative justices, but what's your view of the racial gerrymandering decision? Uh, Well, I'm with you, Bob. The constitutional mandate is for equal voting opportunity, regardless of race, and that's why we've had lots of legislation directed at voter access. But the Voting Rights Act goes further and talks about political representation not just access. So even if you have equal access, the political process, including the potential for gerrymandered districts, can operate to have a discriminatory effect. And then the courts are faced with a real dilemma. Does fair representation mean that minority voters should be spread proportionately over all districts? If that were the case, that would deprive the minority of control over any single district. Or, alternatively, should a proportionate percentage of the districts have minority control, which, it seems to me, is constitutionally impermissible. In fact, it is a race-conscious remedy that is very similar to the remedy that the court rejected in the affirmative action cases uh, that we'll probably discuss uh, next week. So interesting. Bob Levy again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Please check out Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, look forward to our discussion next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Gulf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Gulf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions... Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and no policy. Uh, they help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the very robust website, thefga.org, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, uh I understand you've got a quote for us to start off our discussion. Well, I sort of decided I'm going to start out each of our Wednesday get-together with a quotation that has some pertinence. So uh, let, let me just start that today with one from uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy back in the early 60s. Uh, JFK said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. Hmm. Now, just let me take that uh, a notch down from the dramatic sounding of that, and I'll paraphrase it and, and just say he's, he's indicating that if legitimate resistance uh, to a government is totally suppressed, inappropriately suppressed, then effectively it can lead to far more dire consequences. And I think that particular paraphrase is obviously true and obviously a circumstance that we face right now in covered America. I agree with that, and uh, it reminds me of the quote from Thomas Jefferson. I believe he said something to the effect that uh, we have a peaceful revolution in this country almost every election or every generation. So uh, that's the way it was. Uh, the country was founded, and uh, uh, now that the populace is more and more divided, we're finding uh, there's more and more tension in the in the atmosphere. Yeah, I think we're seeing, and again, we're seeing the element of, uh, of uh, suppression of legitimate uh, pushback, and uh, it's it's taken some very dire forms uh, through the actions of the FBI in many cases. So uh, I think, uh, and again, I'm not predicting anything, but it, uh, if if JFK was right, and if my paraphrase is correct, we're looking at uh, ahead some circumstances that could develop from this that are not are not healthy for America. Bob. Well, there's a story of a, a massive. Uh, Voter fraud in Michigan, uh, just 800,000 ballot applications sent to non-qualified voters and so forth. Uh, bags of prepaid gift cards, gun silencers, all kinds of things. I mean, uh, we have one side that's choosing to cheat and to try and pack the ballot boxes, so to speak. So uh, certainly setting the table for some uh, some anger, some people who are just saying, just casting my vote's not going to do it if it's not going uh, if it's not going to be counted properly. Well, I mean, that certainly is a, a major problem uh, we face in our uh, republic, uh, essentially, if elections are not to be trusted. And I think at this point, if you look at the polling, uh, the election process is not the federal election process, is not trusted by a majority of Americans at this point, Bob. Right. Uh, and I think that is a very serious situation for this country. I agree with that, uh, Andy. So I, I appreciate the quote. and. Uh... I think it has real relevance for what's happening today. Well, I think just with that one quote, we can see, uh, even between uh, you and I, uh, how that quote develops into a, a larger topic and a larger discussion. So I think that was that was my intent with wanting to start out each Wednesday with a quotation. Yeah. But let me, let me get into some good news, uh, two pieces of good news. One is uh, not particularly important, but emotionally gratifying. The other is important. Uh, so let me start with the emotionally gratifying one. Uh, the women's soccer team uh, was eliminated in the in the World Cup uh, elimination round that uh, made many many people happy, not just myself. Uh, and of course, the 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 big uh, uh, 
the, the villain in that, so to speak, was uh, Megan Rabinow, and uh, she missed a penalty shot. Now, again, I don't want to take a lot of joy in other people's failure, but in this particular case, uh, as Jason Whitlock said in his inimitable fashion, he says rooting for this team uh, was unpatriotic uh, because the team was in itself unpatriotic. Yeah, uh, think... So, again, I think that's, that's what we're looking at. Uh, I think then immediately after the loss, by the way, they call for more money, which is an amazing, uh, amazing <laughs> A switch of this whole thing, but yeah. uh, that's been the history of this team, and that's one of the reasons why why so many Americans have found this team very, very distasteful. Uh, well, I agree with that, and uh, it just made me wonder, who do they really represent, because they certainly didn't seem to be representing the United States of America. No, they weren't, and I, again, that's uh, theoretically why they were on the field. They are a national team. Right. Uh, it's not an individual sport where you go out there, like in tennis, even though they, they list the tennis players as coming from a country. They do not represent that country. But the, but the World Cup soccer is different. Right. It is a national team, and it should have some, some commitment to the, to the national value system. This team, over the last, uh, I, I guess, uh, two World Cups, has certainly demonstrated that they are not in that category, Bob. Absolutely, Andy. So that's that's the emotionally satisfying one. What's the other good news? Well, the other good news is, uh, is again, important in, in my estimation. Uh, on Fox News the other day, uh, Mike Pence uh, suddenly, in my estimation, admitted that uh, on, uh, uh, on January 6, 2021, he could have, in fact, sent, that, uh, sent the electoral vote uh, into the House of Representatives uh, to have it determined whether it should be sent back to the state legislatures for final certification. Uh, he, he admitted that he could have. He didn't deal with the should-have aspect of it, but th that's debatable, perhaps. But the could-have, I think, is no longer on the table. Yes, he could have. So then we have to visit some of Pence's remarks that he's made mm -hmm. uh, in the last several months as it pertains to President Trump, that uh, Pence indicated that uh, he, Pence, was trying to defend the Constitution, whereas Trump was trying to overturn the Constitution. Right. That it was he, Pence, that was acting constitutionally, whereas Trump was doing just, just the opposite. I think those remarks have now been put to lie at this point by Pence's own remarks uh, himself. So I think we have to uh, revisit this and understand that if Pence had just uh, did what he could have done, and I, in my estimation, should have done, that almost all of the turmoil from that point forward uh, could have been avoided, certainly might have been avoided. Uh, if the, uh, if the uh, electoral votes in debate had been sent back to the state legislatures and returned to the House uh, and Biden would have been certified, that would have taken a significant amount of heat out of the public debate. But by not doing his job, what Pence did was create this hostility and this anger uh, that has uh, infected much of the American people, certainly those that were, were Trump supporters, Bob. Absolutely. We, our founders certainly understood that there could be sh shenanigans going on with regard to the voting and, and this entire process. They could have had the... Uh, the Founders could have said, well, why don't we just put the sergeant at arms in charge? He can count just as well as anybody. No, they put the vice president in that position because he could sort through the shenanigans that might be played during this election and uh, take appropriate action. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Pence saw his role as being ministerial as opposed to being a, any kind of a leader. And I'm just grateful that he's not going to be the president of uh, the United States uh, president. Well, that, that is not going to happen, quite obviously. Uh, <coughs> Pence per positioned himself as a functionary. In other words, he was just there, as you've suggested just now, just to pass things along, not to comment. I think what we saw, we should have seen in Pence's position, was something which was the equivalency of an emergency break glass. In other words, it sits there permanently. It's not acted on. But again, it is there. And again, just as you suggested, it is there for exactly the situation situation uh, that confronted Pence in 2020, and he failed He failed to act appropriately in that moment, Bob. Absolutely. Andy, we need to just take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. 
School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to remind you that Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., Lulabee's Diner, known for its terrific breakfast and lunch, now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesday through Saturday. The menu's great. The value is terrific. Uh, we go there once a week, and it's just fabulous. In fact, I'm going to be meeting Andy there later. Uh, our guest, Andrew Joppa, again, uh, Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, this movie, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Oppenheimer, apparently is setting some records, and it's getting a lot of uh, a lot of attention. As I understand it, it's the highest grossing movie, uh, even over Private uh, Ryan, uh, in, in terms of uh, the money that it's bringing in. So it's a big success. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that's understandable. My wife and I don't go out to the movies very much anymore, uh, but because, again, it's always been so disappointing. But we thought that Oppenheimer would be in a different category, and to the largest extent that it, it has been, or it was, as the case may be, Bob. Mm -hmm. uh, for your audience that is not thoroughly familiar with uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, uh, he was the director of the Manhattan Project, the project that was developing the, uh, the atomic bomb. Uh, he was working out of uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico, primarily because because he had uh, he owned property in that area, and he I, I think it was more so uh, for that reason that Los Al, Al, Los Alamos, New Mexico, was chosen. There were two particular units of the of the project. First, you had Los Alamos, uh, which developed the the theoretical. Uh, physics nature of, of the bomb. Uh, you had the mechanical physics of the bomb that was actually building the physical bomb. And then at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, you had the, the extracting of uranium, which was the, the, the vital component in producing the, uh, the, uh, the atomic capability of the bomb as an explosive device. Uh, so that, that's sort of the, the background of this situation taking place in the, in the mid-40s. Uh, primarily generated by the, uh, the the concept or the thought that that Nazi Germany was developing uh, uh, nuclear weapons, atomic weapons. Uh, at that point, uh, it probably would have gone forward independently of that, but that was uh, seen as the ma as the major impetus. Uh, as it worked out, and this is all history. This is not debatable stuff. Uh, as it worked out, the, uh, the war in Europe and ended by the time the bomb was finished. They did wind up using the bomb uh, to uh, end the war in uh, in the Pacific uh, by dropping it on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And by the way, we're exactly in that time period uh, right now as as we speak. Right. Uh, the movie. Getting back to the specifics subjectively of the movie, I enjoyed the movie. I think I think it had faults. 
I think the thing that saved the movie was the executive producer chosen by by the director, Christopher Nolan, was James Woods. Uh, James Woods is a, is a well-known Hollywood conservative, one of the few. And so to see James Woods listed as the executive producer gave me some hope that the movie would be, uh, to a large extent, balanced. Yeah. Uh, it invests a tremendous amount of time, I think far too much, in the fact that uh, because of what they call the Red Scare, as if there was not really a scare, uh, the Red Scare in the, in the, in the 50s, uh, that uh, Oppenheimer's security clearance was not renewed. That, that's as simple as it was. His security clearance was not renewed. Now, there are many comments I like to make about that. Now, I've, I've given you and your audience that uh, rough background of the circumstance. Uh, so any, any comments before I get into some other things? No, I appreciate the uh, summary, uh, Andy. I'm looking forward to your thoughts and comments about uh, its meaning and importance to us. Let me just add a few things before I get into that. I have, a, I have some background elements with it. My, my, my wife was born at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, during the process of the extraction of uranium. She was not involved with that, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but her, her father was there as a support personnel at Oak Ridge during that time period. So that's sort of a, uh, an indirect family connection. Uh, also, when I was in the Strategic Air Command at, at 8th Air Force Command Post uh, at uh, Westover Air Force Base, uh, I had a, a a conversant relationship with General uh, Kiefer, who was the head of 8th Air Force. Now, we were not friends, obviously, but we, we had many periods of, of conversation. Uh, he had been in the Pentagon in the late 40s mm. and also served in the military advisory group uh, to the Atomic Energy Commission uh, in the early 50s. So he was very prominently featured in that time period, and I had many conversations with General Kiefer as it pertained to nuclear weapons and the development uh, as time went forward and their implication uh, in terms of a tool for war or peace, as he saw it, and I agree with him, uh, that the, the nuclear weapons served. And I think the case can be made, uh, essentially, this was not a case made by the movie, by the way, uh, that in fact it was, it's the very existence of, uh, of these weaponries that have prevented any large-scale world wars, uh, such as we saw in World War I and World War II. Certainly we've had significant local wars since that time, but the world wars of, of that nature uh, uh, have not taken place, I think, to a large extent because of nuclear weaponry, Bob. Oh, because it's, it's a deterrent, and I think most people realize that it would be the end of times if, if, if something that, like that were used, especially uh, at the time it was an atom bomb. Right now the uh, nuclear bombs are much more powerful than, than even that was. Well, again, that's one of the elements introduced in the movie. They make Edward Teller, who was a, uh, a uh, someone who escaped Nazi Germany, a, a Jewish citizen of Germany, escaped. And Edward Teller was the father of the, the hydrogen bomb, the thermonuclear weapons, which are a hundred times more powerful than the weapons used at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I think a legitimate case was made uh, that essentially the atomic bombs that hit uh, Japan were let's call them localized. Now, obviously, that's a word that diminishes their impact, but I think they were localized. They, they affected the cities of Hiroshima and or Nagasaki. Uh, but again, they did not produce generalized destruction and fallout, right, right. whereas thermonuclear weaponry is far more significant, far more devastating, and, and far more generalized in its impact than the localized weaponry uh, as suggested by the atomic bombs. So that was Ed, Edward Teller's position. The movie, does Edward Teller a... Uh, uh, a bad turn uh, by suggesting he was some sort of a villain by going in this direction. Uh, in fact, most people, including Oppenheimer, although it's not brought out, actually eventually supported the development of thermonuclear weapons, the hydrogen bombs, as being propagated through the intelligence of, of, uh, of, of uh, Edward Teller, Bob. Do I recall that Einstein had severe or serious reservations about all this? Uh, Einstein was uh, past his prime. He was not even considered a serious physicist uh, by the early 40s. Uh, uh, most real physicists at that point in time uh, gave little weight to anything ah. Einstein said. I'm not diminishing the man's contributions, by the way, Bob. Absolutely. I'm just saying in terms of this, of this circumstance, Einstein's views, uh, he, he understood very little little about quantum mechanics, if anything. So, so, uh, I'm sure he understood a lot more than I do, by the way. Uh, but again, he was not at, at a world-class level in that area. Uh, so again, you have what, what happened at, uh, at Los Alamos. Uh, 
Oppenheimer was chosen as the director by the uh, the overall project manager, General Leslie Grove. Now, here was a general of the United States Army, and his job was to choose who would direct that program uh, at Los Alamos as the, desti- the destination was chosen. And the, the, the problem was, and this is, I think, to Grove's credit, perhaps uh, it can be subjectively seen in another way, but when he chose Oppenheimer, he chose someone who was basically a dilettante, uh, basically someone who had had profound contacts uh, with communists from most of the 30s and going into the early 40s, certainly. Yeah. Uh, it was never documented, and it's been suggested he was not a card-carrying member of the Communist Party. But certainly he was surrounded by communists. That included uh, his, uh, his first girlfriend, uh, Tuckton, and uh, his eventual wife, both deeply involved with, uh, with communism. Now, uh, for those that want to uh, diminish the implication of the, the communist challenge to America or the threat to America, uh, I don't think that challenge should be diminished or, or should have been diminished. There was a serious, a serious threat to America. Uh, the potentials under Stalin's uh, Soviet Union were dramatic. We saw that Fuchs, one of the science, uh, physicists uh, who was working at Los Alamos, actually delivered uh, nuclear secrets into the hands of the, of the Soviets. Mm. But getting back to Groves now, he chose Oppenheimer because Oppenheimer was a, a brilliant theoretician. Uh, he had no mechanical ability in terms of uh, building a bomb or building anything phys- in, in that sense, but he was a brilliant theoretician who could stimulate the ideas of other people. He chose uh, Oppenheimer because he was widely respected, and in Grove's mind, the risk of security, and this was the balance at Los Alamos, the balance between getting this done and maintaining security and uh, a, a Pure Security Act would have eliminated probably half to 75% of the physicists who were on site at Los Alamos because of prior uh, communist connections, if not active affiliations. So here we have this situation where the uh, the site is being created, the project's being created, uh, based on the potentialities of, of Germany creating comparable atomic weaponry, and this was going to be our challenge to them if, in fact, if, in fact, they went forward and completed their project. Now, post that, there's a retrospective which said that essentially Hitler had backed away from the development of of atomic weaponry, but that was not a known factor in 1943. It was seen as a as a real threat, Bob. Absolutely. Eddie, again, need to take another break and you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hearing that uh, Blue Provence commercial reminds me that uh, Blue Provence has been uh, nominated as one of the top 100 wine sellers in the world. And uh, I hope you'll uh, visit Blue Provence not only for great dinner, but also, or lunch, but also uh, for the terrific wine selections they've had at Blue Provence. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus Savaz. Andy, you really increased my motivation to see Oppenheimer. <laughs> well, I, I think it's worth seeing, but it has to be seen with a, uh, uh, an eye towards real history, Bob. I think it does a good job now, so I'm not, I'm not degrading the movie, but I think it has, it has deficiencies. And let, let me point out one of those now. Um, the, the movie makes a, a significant case about the atom bombing of, of uh, Japan at a point in time, it says, when Japan was on the verge of surrender. I think that, in fact, is inappropriate and right. not accurate. Right. Japan was not on the verge of surrender. Now, they suggest that the Russian movement into Manchuria at that point in time would have been cause in itself to get Japan to surrender. But there was nothing happening with the uh, Japanese Imperial Army who actually ran Japan uh, to indicate that that was the case. So first of all, no. The bombs, in my estimation now, in many people's estimation, the bombs caused the end of the war. Now, was that significant to end the war? Uh, they Again, the movie highlights the number of Japanese uh, killed by the bombings. Uh, we can point out immediately that the fire bombings of Tokyo uh, by Curtis LeMay uh, were far more devastating in their human impact uh, than were the atomic bombings. Mm. So I think that uh, if we're looking at uh, the assessment of these the death tolls, I think the, the fire bombings were actually more significant. But I think that's not even the, the point. The point is to look at the number of civilian deaths that the ascent that Japan, the Japanese uh, war in the Pacific had caused. In China, there were 18 million civilian deaths. In India, 2 million in the Netherlands, the East Indies, four million. In the Philippines, one million. Uh, there, there were about 25 million civilian deaths that can all be directly attributed wow. to Japanese activities in the Pacific during World War II. I had so, no idea. That's that is a fascinating uh, statistic. I mean, the, the numbers are, are mind-boggling. So when I hear the, uh, the, the laments about uh, taking this action against Japan as if somehow we're talking about uh, a benign nation and a benign people, I'm sorry, Bob, uh, the numbers speak loudly that that was not the case. And right. we can add into that the number of Americans killed or wounded or taken prisoner uh, in, this, in the Pacific during World War II, not Europe, just the Pacific, uh, was 400,000 Americans. Yeah. Uh, so essentially we're looking at an incredible death toll uh, to America directly and to civilian populations in Asia. Uh, I'm going to say 70, make, I'm making up a number here, but I, it's probably accurate. Uh, 75% of those civilian deaths were directly caused by Japanese actions uh, in, in the Asian area, particularly in China, where they aggressively used China in many areas as a test for some of their biologic weaponry. Uh, so this was not a country that could be, uh, could be given any latitude. This was not a country that could be ignored in terms of the potentials they offered. And so I think the, the bombing was a, a necessary moment in time. Uh, let, let me, we, have, we don't have much time left here. Let me just add another point, and then maybe we can get back to it next week. Uh, but I seriously would ask the question, would we, if, if the bomb had been developed earlier, and if Germany uh, was still actively fighting the war, would we have dropped the bomb on Germany? Mm -hmm. um, I find it difficult to believe that we would have dropped two nuclear weapons on the European continent. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just find that difficult to believe. I don't say that because it was a racist consideration. I say that because Japan was an island. Therefore, the, the uh, impact of the bombs could be fairly well localized. Right. But if you were talking about dropping two atomic weapons on Germany, maybe Munich and, and Berlin, for example, you know, you're talking about oh, uh, a fallout that would affect uh, almost all of the European countries. So uh, although being developed to fight uh, Nazi Germany, I, I harbor serious doubts it actually would have been used against Nazi Germany. But. Andy, such an interesting discussion. I really appreciate your uh, thoughts on, and uh, f 
feedback here on uh, on the movie Oppenheimer, and Lou look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Andrew Job again, professor and author of Josephus of Us. Thank you so much for joining well, us. Well, if you see it, let me know. Maybe we can talk more about it next week. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here of today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We have some great guests for tomorrow's show in, in, as well. Uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you'll pass the word. It's one of the ways uh, that we uh, help support our advertisers. And I really appreciate your uh, listening to the show. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>